Today's guest is my friend, psychotherapist Joseph Teske. We were actually in a coffee shop, Toby's Coffee Estate in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we were having this really interesting conversation that I had to record. So you might hear some background noise. You might hear some German folks sitting at the table next to us talk about something I'm sure unrelated. But we were speaking about what some would call dominant psychology and status and uh, the visceral experience of it because we were both referring to some anecdotal observations that when one is afraid or feeling beta or low status or anxious, it kind of smells differently in your sweat as opposed to feeling really good. Obviously, this is an anecdotal observation. We're kind of being facetious, but I do think there's some truth to this. So I was calling this episode Terror Sweat throughout the conversation, but I think a more apt title would be Status Signals. So right now you're listening to episode 041, Status Signals and Terror Sweat with Joseph Teske. Oh, and also, before I forget, I am doing a group coaching pr- a thing with my men's mastermind group specifically on this topic because I, we didn't really go into the house in this. So if you want to learn more, you can DM me on Instagram, hit me up on any social medium, email me or go to masculineunderground.com. I should put a link up there eventually. If you want to be a part of that, we'll go into actual how to change your status expression. Anyway, that's that. Listen to the episode. It's a good one. Goodbye. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. I'm here with the man Joseph Teske. We're in Toby's Coffee, so I don't know if I don't know how the, the sound quality will be. You get some of the ambient noise of Toby's Coffee in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York. We're talking about terror sweat. Well, we're talking about terror sweat. We, we, we said beta sweat. Beta sweat, terror sweat. Talking about masculinity, of course. But, but how scent scent can change depending on internal state. Yeah, we, we were talking about how some people say, and I think I kind of agree. I think we both agree that. Uh, uh, something about male odor can be attractive and you know maybe it's pheromones maybe it's something um, we don't need to cover that scent up but terror sweat or beta sweat when someone's being anxious something about their scent is off and you know uh, yeah yeah well like I remember I was gonna I was about to say I remember this very specific uh, thing that happened when I was younger when I finally became uh, proficient, let's say, at Muay Thai, like, like I, I had my first fight in the ring, uh-huh. and I proved myself, like I won the fight and knocked the guy out, I was like, I can do this. Like I now, something had changed. Before the fight, I was like, yeah, this is just something I, yeah, I, I train in Muay Thai. But like afterwards, my whole body changed. Like I, and the way I oriented myself around in the world changed. Like I was kind of like, my confidence level like, yeah, you viscerally felt like I could fuck people up. Yeah, exactly. I, I did feel that way, and I was—I I lost like this level of fear that I didn't even know I was carrying. Like, it just sort of like dissipated. Yeah, you know. And around that time, I remember that summer, I like my my body changed. Like, I, like, like I, I stopped wearing uh, any person for a while, and like even though like my Gear, my, my my training gear, that stuff stunk. Like, yeah. It was always a, you know, like obvious. But like, I could like go for a workout and then like go out and like not get feedback that I smelled bad. In fact, I get feedback that I smelled good. Yeah. There is something like winning increases testosterone. We know that. Uh-huh. You know, it's also interesting. I mean, about the fighting specifically. Like the first time I sparred, there's something about actually entering another guy's space and actually landing a punch that was really hard for me like I'd been hitting the bag and doing taekwondo for years but I never really landed a punch on someone and the first time I'm in the ring it's like I couldn't break the barrier it's like something something about it I couldn't step into his space well we used to make fun of the the taekwondo people because like like I mean this is back when I was training in Muay Thai Muay Thai was was like exotic Uh nobody knew what the fuck it was taekwondo was really popular right and like we had this we had this taekwondo uh, school called Bay's School of Destruction and we always made fun of them they they, they, they were pretty good like they were in, when you watched them like their kicking and, and stuff was like 
pretty fucking good. You know, pretty powerful looking stuff. But then, they, and they would do all these tournaments, and the Taekwondo tournaments are like, it's, it's tag, yeah. it's touch, and we would just be like, like that's bullshit. Like, you're not, you're not learning to actually like, like drive through right. your opponent's body and actually like do. Because even psychologically, I think it's it's hard. Yeah. Like I've been hitting, because I even I've I've been boxing for six months, but hitting bags and pads. Yeah. But I could not land a punch on a guy. I could just not. I could not enter his space with a fist until he hit me. Once he hit me, I was like, oh, fuck him. And, and then I felt different. I think something just changed in my mind, body, whatever. I don't think that's rare. Like, like that happened to me, too. Like, so first of all, we went into the, the, the taekwondo uh, competitions, and we just we just killed it. Like, we went in there, and, like, we, we won. We, you know, we cleaned up. Like, Even though you couldn't kick in, in the legs and stuff? Even though we couldn't kick in the legs. Hmm. We could do other things, like kick in the head. But... but Okay. You know, like like we were we were fighting their roof, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was a taekwondo competition. Yeah. But like even that, even like 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 the the, the act of constantly training to like for impact and for, for real world like effect, like actually made it just as fast or faster or more let's say like accurate than the taekwondo guys. And there were some guys that were pretty scary in, the, in that school like they were like big muscular but also super like they could do full splits yeah. and, and spinning kicks to the head and stuff and, you know high high axe kicks and you know right. like but that effect you're talking about I uh, I had that when I was in the ring like I was fighting against a guy in my school we didn't have belts my teacher was also like he was this like crazy street fighting Portuguese pirate like and he like he scorned belts but so I was you know fighting this guy who he was from Ontario he was from like Toronto or something and uh is that you? yeah is that that's okay, yeah, go get it. let me go let me go get that uh, Joseph's getting his coffee while I oh he's already back look at that that was quick so yeah so this guy and he was like a lot taller than me he was probably like four inches five inches taller than me uh, he, and he was like a black belt in some martial art it could have been I'm not sure what it was karate taekwondo or something uh, maybe it was kung fu but he was like his body was was, was different we were both fighting at we were both fighting at 165 pounds and I was uh, way stronger than he was you know like but he, but he was taller and he had, he had longer reach and so when we started like the whole first round was him like tagging me constantly you know and I was like I'm losing the fight like, oh no I'm getting hit all the time and that was my first thing that went up my head it's like oh he's he's winning I'm you probably smell terrible because you had that terror sweat maybe that beta sweat I might have yeah but by the end of the first round I started getting angry I'm like what the fuck like, you know fuck you like you know like stop hitting me you know I'm gonna hit you back but I was hesitant to hit him as hard as I could you know uh-huh. and he wasn't he wasn't hesitant he had had a few fights already this was my first fight uh-huh. and so he was trying to like take me out and it was a thing in your gym to spar full, concept, full force oh yeah we sp- <laughs> we sparred without headgear headgear doesn't do much though it just stops you from getting cut but yeah I mean full contact sparring I'm not into it anymore I don't like the concept of it. but anyway go on I, I, nowadays I look back on that and I look like I, I think ooh shit like that, that wasn't very smart but like I mean they were the, the way we sparred in, in my thing he would my, my teacher would he'd be like go go spar with, with Tony you know and like Tony's like like his cousin who's like 300 pounds but has been doing martial arts and Muay Thai since he was like four years old and he's like this guy like when he kicked me in the legs he would kick through my leg and then the other leg he just kicked both my legs right out from under me and I'd fall on my uh-huh. side like that's how hard he could kick uh-huh. you know, like 300 pounds yeah yeah like, oh be 
beast. Kind of. yeah. But like, but like, he would just knock my legs up, right? and I, I and I'd spar with him, you know. And like, but that's how you learn, you know. Yeah. And he would he would do shit like there was a guy who came to spar one time, and sometimes people and he would allow that. Like sometimes people didn't have proper <coughs> proper sparring gloves, so all he had was bet. This guy showed up for his first class. He was this like big muscular hockey playing dude uh-huh. and he had bag gloves like the old school bag gloves with the bar in the middle no no not okay. with a bar just, uh-huh. but just like like light yeah uh, I, I forget how, how heavy they are you know they don't, they don't make those anymore they don't make bag gloves all Everlast sells MMA gloves as your bag gloves oh, I really right. miss the old school bag gloves yeah 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 I actually miss the one with the bar in the middle because I feel like it's the safest thing for your hands <laughs> you know you're not going to punch someone with that well yeah but it's like really safe for your hands you're not going to hurt your heart anyway I digress Everlast please make the old school ones Anyway, this guy was like, you know, new, and he, he could obviously, he had already obviously like <clears throat> done some, maybe some boxing, and he was athletic, uh, but he was kind of an asshole, you know, and he was kind of arrogant, and my teacher was like, you can spar, but be careful, you know, so he put he put the, uh, the, the bag gloves on, he's supposed to go gentle, yeah. he started sparring with like some like, you know, intermediate like girl. And he's like throwing haymakers at her, and then he, he switches to somebody else who's also like a beginner. This guy's like hitting the other person really hard. So then my teacher's like, Dave, get in there. And it's like Dave was like his his uh, like one of one of the guys on the team, like yeah. this fucking savage, uh-huh. like kickboxer. Who he was? Dave was was like a Rocky. He was like this guy who like his heart. He would never give up, but he was also super super tough. And although not very heavy or, or tall, mm-hmm. like, probably like five foot five foot eight and like 155 pounds. Mm-hmm. And this guy, the hockey player guy, was like six foot one and like 200 pounds. Yeah. Uh, and Dave just comes in and just and my teacher totally allows Dave comes in and just like whap 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 like knocks the guy out as the guy's falling down he still lands like two more punches and then leg kick leg kick leg kick like as the guy falls and like the guy was completely out of it had to be like woken up with smelling salts and then like he's like and my teacher's like now get the fuck out. <laughs> he never came back. Huh. Like, that was the kind of gym. That guy was so... I love my teacher. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just watching this thing. Uh, it was a clip from Joe Rogan's show with Faraz Sahabi, who trains George St. Pierre. And they are talking about how they don't do any full contact sparring anymore, even for pro fighters. Because you don't actually learn better. And on the long run, you don't develop the skills. And you're damaging your body. So it's really not... I was like, oh yeah, because even like for strength training, I'm like, I'm never training till failure again. Right. You said that. I was saying, yeah, because I mean, I even like, right now, because I can't work out my upper body, I'm trying who, to get really who flexible. Who is George St. Pierre? Is it, is it uh, George St. Pierre? Faraz Sahavi, who trains George St. Pierre. But even George St. Pierre said that he doesn't do weight training anymore. He doesn't train till failure. Because um, when I think about like, like when I was doing the Marines training, when I wanted to raise my pull-ups, doing all the training pull failure stuff never works. But doing like one or two pull-ups every time I walk past my bedroom pull-up bar, within two months I went from like 15 pull-ups to 25. Oh. And I never, I never strained myself. But I was getting way more reps in it. So maybe 30 pull-ups a day in sets of three. You know? So I think, and I think with this elbow injury, I'm like, I got to just learn the lesson that I haven't learned for 30 years, which is chill the fuck out. <laughs> because you know, the whole reason I knew that my elbow was tender because I worked out really hard in the gym and I could feel all the connective tissue was tender and I, I, I looking back I know that any impact was going to knock it loose you know well there's something so. to that and also as you get older like you can train like the way some people like to train that that intense training in your early 20s like in your yeah. late teens your early 20s then again almost any training in your late teens early 20s work, right, right. but like especially going to failure I, me and my brother when we were training when I was like 21 like, wait, we were we were doing you know you know Mike Manson no. Mike Mensa was a bodybuilder. I mean, obviously a guy on steroids, but like, uh, 
he's reused his method. He used tons of like chorus reps, negative reps, yeah. like uh, compound sets, super sets, like all these things. And my brother and I were maniacs. Like we were like we, we would just like destroy ourselves in the gym. And it's it the best way to get mass. It worked like yeah. like it, it was as if we were doing steroids. Like, yeah. like like in three months, I probably put on like twelve pounds of muscle. You know, like doing that. And then of course I got injured. Right. That's. But, I mean, I was getting injured in high school from the same same idea. Yeah. I've never been that big since. I, I, the biggest I've ever been was high school. That was ten years ago. So I'm like, shit. Maybe it's just not gonna work. <laughs> you know? But there must be some sustainable long-term way of doing it. But obviously, because other people. You know, yeah. People aren't. There are lots of people who get way bigger in their thirties than they were in their. 30s. Yeah. Well, I do think my bone structure is just not built for lots of. That's yeah. My body's built for like parkour, and I gotta get real with that. Like, I wanna be big and brawling, but it's just not. And you're, yeah, you're, yeah. It's just not gonna work for me. But anyway, so I was saying about this fight, terror sweat. Well, I got, you know, I got mad. Uh-huh. And towards the end of the first round, it's like I reacted. It's like, you know, sometimes you react uh, instinctively, you know, like a certain, you know, a certain. At a certain point, something he did, like, really kind of poked me. And I was like, fuck you, you know? Like, and I, I nailed it, you know? And I'm like, oh, oh, you like that, huh? You know, like, I can... I can hit him back, and then I proceeded to. St- I, I started to just take him apart. Like the second round, I just like stripped whale on him, you know. And and yeah. then and then the beginning of the third round, I finally knocked him out. And, and like but when I knocked him out, I, actually at that point though, I was like, and I was in really good shape. I could run like 10 miles at like at like. I, well, for, when I was if I was running. 10 miles the pace would be like probably seven and a half minutes a mile but like I thought that was pretty good and yeah. I could run like I was running five miles fairly often like three times a week plus I was doing like an hour and 15 minute Muay Thai workouts trainings yeah. uh, like four times a week plus I was going to the gym doing strength training like three times a week and like by the by the beginning of the third round I was so exhausted I thought I was going to die like I was and when, when I knocked him out my first thought wasn't like yes like I got you or fuck you or I, I won it was like it's over <laughs> like, thank god yeah. you know I was, I was telling it so in my my college group of friends there's a couple of beefs between guys there's maybe like 10 of us and like a couple of these guys don't talk to each other anymore because of something stupid that happened when you know eight years ago when someone was drinking someone said someone to a girlfriend or something like that and they're holding out to these grudges for like eight years or ten years at this point. And I've all, I told them from day one, if you punched the guy in the face who said that shit, you probably would have had a beef. Maybe you would have fought that night, but you'd be cool by now. But they didn't do anything, so they're still holding on to that aggression for ten years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I do think, you know, I mean, it's an unpopular thing to say, but uh, controlled violence sometimes is the answer. You know, it is like, because you didn't hate, have any hate afterwards, right? And I think this is something that's being lost with traditional masculinity that you kind of have to rough it out sometimes. Well, I haven't, I haven't, so, to be honest, I haven't even watched that ad, <coughs> the, uh, oh, the Gillette ad, the Gillette ad, but like, it's, it sounds, it sounds horrible, but, but like, the, uh, it's just over the top. Like, there's apparently, there's an image where it's like, there's two kids roughhousing on the ground and these, like, you know, cultured beta males coming, like, pulled them apart. Yeah, like, oh. a deck, it's like, we don't do that. It's not okay, right? It's just like, come on. It's like, I get the message, but you just did it so over the top. Roughhousing is, is perfectly okay. That's and those exactly kids are correct. Those young boys are going to be fucked up when they're teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to hire me as a coach probably, so I'm not that worried about it. It's keeping me in business, but this is fucked up. Yeah. 
that's what I was telling Omar Pani, like, or I, I mean to tell him, like, he doesn't have to get that angry because honestly, it's going to show up in workshops later when people in 20 years are like, shit, my sex life is messed up or my self-esteem is down the toilet. You know why? Because you cut off your instincts when you were a kid. Well, but will it? I mean, that's the other thing that we're, I think this is part of what would drive the anger is that a lot of times we have this idea about evolution being uh, linear and a progression, but it's not. Evolution can, can go quote-unquote backwards. It can, it can, it can go the, uh, a different direction. Like So, what we're evolving, I think, into a more intellectual now, space. Maybe 20, just, yeah. 20, 20 years from now, we're going to be sexless. It's possible. I mean, that's what people like, I think, where the anger for, for people like Holmes, or even to some extent myself, comes from. It's like this, like, the intensity of the potential, like, uh, change that, that could be happening is, is like, enormous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about this before. Like, uh, I don't think the right response is to get angry or say what you're doing is dangerous because you're just adding to the noise. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I obviously didn't like the ad, but I'm trying to be compassionate about it. And really, just like I'm only really worried for teenage teenage boys right now. We're gonna grow up kind of messed up from this, I think. Yeah. Because they're gonna have this impulse to compete and talk to women, and they're like, oh, I, I can't do these two things. Like. Well, and you also push like. Like to, for every every you know reaction, there's an equal reaction. Like like this is why the polarization in American politics, in, like, to some extent global politics, is so is so dangerous though, and it's so infuriating because like every time like the the, the people on the left, they, they sort of shift the the Overton window like to like like mainstream opinion becomes right wing. Then like you actually you do push people into the right. The people that are at the edge of the mainstream, like on that end of the spectrum, start to go, wait a minute, fuck me. I'm going to actually take a more extreme position than I did five minutes ago. Yeah, and I'm trying to resist that. It's just like my whole life I've always identified as liberal. Yeah, Uh, me too. But now I'm like, wait, am I a conservative? No, everything has been the same. It's just what is considered normal or moderate has changed. But have you heard that saying? What's the saying is that if if you're not a liberal when you're under 30 you have no heart when you're if you're not a conservative when you're over 30 you have no head that makes sense <laughs> I'm so, 30 right now I'm in a transition you know, phase as apparently. you get older you because as you get older you start to see like, you know when you're you're young this is this is why I will I, I you know we, t- we talked about this, but I, I'm always skeptical uh, of people coaches and, 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 and you know, these new age people that are especially in their 20s you know they go to a course one course or like two courses or, or a six month coaching program or, or even just they graduate from like from college and then they like they claim a position of authority in, in thought or like in speaking or in teaching or you know like I'm going to coach people I'm going to like I'm going to tell people what to do with their lives I'm going to I'm going to talk about what what's morally right or wrong you know like yeah. and there's there's a cultural narrative that yeah like youth knows like better because they're more in touch with like feelings purity with some kind of like pure being that, that comes with childhood that we ascribe to childhood so, so somehow that's better but, but actually when you get older you start to realize like a lot of what you think when you're 20 is like really actually incorrect like you, you don't know what you don't know at that point like that's a really big thing I see both sides maybe because I'm 30 like not <laughs> knowing what you don't know yeah. is, is a big big thing I think uh, part of the beauty of youthful liberalism is a bit of uh, Pollyanna irrationality yes you kind of got to push that I so. love that part that part that part is precious and, yeah. and, and we should cherish a kind of poly, uh, uh, poly I haven't said polyamorous Pollyanna-ish uh, optimism and, and, and like like I you know it's it's hard not to like let your optimism extinguish as you get older because you start to see like that it's actually a lot more difficult than people think to change to affect change to yeah. change even your own 
life. So, um, but one of the things, like a measure of intelligence, that, that, that we've done fear. is terror sweat. No, we've done this. In, we've done uh, in this research on this, which is that like the smarter people are, the, the more aware they are of what they don't know. That's a hallmark of intelligence. So, like, like uh, you've heard of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome. Uh, Accretes like in its highest like ratio uh, at the level of mastery. Hmm. Yeah, you know we we've talked about that in like the creative side. Like if you want to start any creative pursuit or develop a skill, you kind of have to have bad taste when you start because if you have a really if you're really sophisticated with like what good writing is or what good art is, you're gonna look at your craft and be like, wow, that sucks, and you're never gonna do it. You kind of have to have a low bar to like believe in yourself enough to actually develop confidence eventually. Well, Ira Glass, I think it's Ira Glass, has a has a little talk on this. It's a great quote. Where he talks about how you, yeah, exactly that. You have to be, well, by definition, if you're like, if you're sitting there going like, I should be a writer, or I have things to say, you know, like through through writing with my voice. Uh, so almost by definition, hopefully, anyway, you do. You, you, you have a sophisticated sense of like what's good art or what's good information and good data or you know like uh, what's 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 a powerful expression and you're going to when you start out it's it's just it's it's inevitable that you're going to start out and there's going to be like a significant gap between like what your internal sophisticated uh, map or image of what you should be expressing is and what you're actually expressing. You're going to be writing stuff that to you is unsophisticated, awkward, clumsy crap. And you're going to just have to grin and bear it and go, yeah, that's, that's all I'm, I can do right now. And it doesn't match what I can do internally, what I know I can do. What I actually can do doesn't match what I know I can do. Yeah. And then through repetition and through, you know, uh, practice, you, 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 you shift that gradually more and more into alignment with what you know you can yeah. do and say and what you actually can That do. takes a lot of faith that a lot of people don't have so yeah. to start. Yeah. I think the other thing is to just be super ignorant of what's good. Because <laughs> right. we're talking about right. and friend we have who I think writes pretty unintelligent things at high volume but her stuff has been getting better and she's putting out stuff enough that I know in a couple of years she's going to have really brilliant things to say and she's probably going to look back and be like wow everything else was really stupid but you know what it works and she's young enough that like whatever you spent five years publishing crap it's better than not publishing at all that yeah no no you're right you know and, and that goes with like you know you pointed this quote out to me what is it the uh, is it Truman or Roosevelt I don't know the, the man in the arena oh yeah it's Eddie Roosevelt it's not yeah. the critic that counts right uh, it's the man in the arena yeah you know because you, you can sit there and, and for five years go it's all crap or you can for five years write, the, write crap right and then in your sixth year you're not writing crap anymore yeah yeah that's one of the cool things about the media age the use of publication means you're gonna put out crap it's almost like I think it's the new rite of passage because back in like the Bukowski era era, for instance he would talk about his journey and that how he kept publishing and getting rejected now it's you publish and no one likes it <laughs> no one hits like on your post no one you know? hits like but then eventually you develop a following and all that shit you know but there's an interesting part about that though too because I've often thought about this like a lot there's so much of liking stuff especially in today's world is uh, perception of value rather than actual value. Yeah. So like a lot of the stuff that like you might have published in your third year that got no likes, if in your sixth year it's vintage. You, you, you get like you get a hundred thousand likes, people will go back and read the third year thing and be like, wait a minute, that's a little gem and yeah. suddenly now it's likable. It's like when Van Gogh died. Yeah. Yeah. You know you know what's interesting? Um I don't know if I mean I, I can't really prove this but when 
I've written something controversial and people take sides. It gets a bunch of likes from people who agree. It gets a bunch of comments from people who don't agree. It gets shared a lot and it gets more spread more often. Yeah. Uh, the last couple of times I've been trying to avoid controversy. Or, I mean, not even avoid it, but just like be like, hey, this is why I was trying to pre-argue against the people against me and kind of like nullify it. Like my last post is on compassion about the Gillette ad. And I put a few things in there that if someone were to give me the, the common, let's say, liberal argument for it, it would look stupid. So it's getting very, well, it's getting very few comments right now. Because I think I kind of like ruined the opportunity for controversy. Yeah. It was like, I, 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 you know, yeah, I was too invulnerable with my argument that you know, one can talk about it. No, no one will challenge you. Yeah. No one will step into the arena. Right. And, I, and I'm partly proud. It's like, oh, now it's, no one's going to read this post. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like you're sitting there in the middle of the arena with like this like, like iron shod like, you know, suit of magic armor you know, right. waiting for a, a challenger and everyone's like, I'm not stepping in there. Like, That's the mountain. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not going in there. Yeah. You got to like appear to be like, you got yeah, to appear to be vulnerable until they step in and then you transform into It's up. almost like you got to put in some um, egregious statements to invite an attack and then have a compassionate response. Yeah. So then you can be like, oh, wow, okay, this guy actually, but you need to get them to put in their, you have to invite the attack almost. It's kind of whatever. I don't know if I'm going to play that game, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, because like on my article about male violence, I got a criticism and I basically agreed with him and then like absorbed the arguments and was like, oh, here's where I get, I see what you're saying, I respect your opinion, but here's where I see it. And he was like, oh, okay. And then that was it. There's no more argument. There's no room for, we just kind of settled it, which I like intellectually, but it's not good for marketing. Yeah. Well, there's that, that I think in marketing, there is a, uh, uh, there's like a, an, 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 ad, an adage, an adage uh, that, uh, you know, any marketing is good. good mar or any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, yeah. yeah bad, bad publicity is good, you know. Yeah. So, and I mean, that a good example of that is Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Like, he, he, he writes stuff and then, like, people on the left, like, they, they sharpen their knives and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to assassinate, I've got to try to assassinate yeah. And then people jump in to defend him. And then, yeah, because people, and, because many, you know, with him, many of the uh, people are bad faith. Well, the way they approach him is, is arrogant. And, like, the, the people that are defenders of him are highly attuned and vigilant for, like, arrogance or, like, misrepresentation. Whoever is going after JP has to, like, really be, like, precise and careful. Now they are. Now they're getting... Yeah. yeah. The first couple of people that challenged him in media were they kind were, of idiots. They were, they were kind of idiots, yeah. And they were certainly... They weren't up to... They like, didn't think through the argument, basically. Yeah, yeah, they weren't up to his level at all. And now, now you're getting people who are much more uh, have much more depth and breadth, yeah. you know, to their thinking, so they're able to grapple, you know, at a higher level. Yeah. Terror sweat. <laughs> it all started with terror sweat. Yeah. What, what else? You look deep in thought. Yeah. I don't know. We had a lot of good conversation before we started recording, but whatever. I don't feel like repeating things about Gillette and masculinity. So. No, there's enough press on that already. Yeah. All right. This is good. I'm going to cut off the end. Well, now you've reminded me of, um, I think, the reason why comedians are now on the side of conservatism online oh, yeah. is because truth, like, there's a couple of things you can't intellectualize. 
comedy and sex. Like you can intellectualize what should be funny and shouldn't be funny, but either something makes you laugh or it doesn't. Same thing with sexuality, which is like, I don't know if we got this on recording, but like, the only reason why I'm not worried about this stuff is that the reasons why I think the stuff like the Gillette ad is not good for people is that it's going to affect male self-esteem, it's going to affect uh, sexual interaction and polarity. These people are going to be upset in, in like 10 years. They're going to end up in an Omer workshop because they don't want to sleep with their husband or their wife um, and because the body doesn't lie. And like even now already, if, if you've ever been to an Omer workshop or any, any sexual workshop, one of the tropes you see all the time is a uh, feminist couple, male, a man and woman. Um, they, they like each other, they ideologically, everything's compatible, but for the last eight years, she hasn't wanted to sleep with him. And, and he doesn't understand because he's done everything that she's wanted. She's done everything society said a man should be, you know, kind, you know, uh, uh, what's the word, kind of almost servile. Um, and then she's got in her way and made all the decisions and stuff, and now they don't want to sleep with each other. And um, the body will not lie, which is why I'm not worried about it, because, like, it'll kind of sort itself out. And it's kind of just the path most people have to take. Well, but the argument, the counter argument to that is it won't sort sort itself up because actually, what the, what the next step for that model is? Like, Everyone takes Viagra. No, no, it's hypergamy. So like everybody else is like, so like the eight years that she doesn't want to sleep with her husband, she's gonna sleep with Is that she needs to sleep with somebody else? And so I think that's okay too. And so that's that's the remedy to that is is that you know society changes to like you know people are still married and, and all the males are acting the way that you just described which kills desire but like about 10% of the males in society refuse to act that way right and those 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 guys spark sexual attraction of all these married women who then go and have sex in their open marriage with these like 10% yeah I don't think it's the worst solution I mean every time I talk to guys in workshops I'm basically saying like you can I didn't I don't use those numbers but I'm like you can be the guy it's just gonna make it easier I think uh, if you actually have balls it'll be way easier to meet women because you'll be kind of a diamond in the rough it sucks for the other guys but they'll have to learn <laughs> eventually because you know like, like the last work the last men's workshop I was at it was young guys trying to learn how to find themselves because they were raised kind of beta and divorcees whose wife left them for another guy that was 100% of the room or maybe like 90% of the room and that's kind of just those are the people who finally feel enough pain that are going to be like okay I'm going to learn how to be a man I'm going to learn what's actually attractive and not uh, intellectually attractive and the same thing with comedy maybe to a lesser extent but things are only funny when they're true which is why you see like comedians like Norm Macdonald and Roseanne and all these I mean Roseanne's a little extreme but like uh, you know Bill Burr who were saying the same things they were saying in the 90s that were considered liberal and now they're considered conservative because they've had to hold on to this hey here's the, where the truth is the truth hasn't changed but now what's funny is a little different because you gotta pull the other direction to get back to truth yeah, people get so offended so easily now. But, yeah. but that's exactly what's funny. Is <laughs> the offense? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, getting offended. Like when I'm coaching an apathetic man, especially a guy who's been beta or like lost himself, I know we're on the right track when he's laughing during the coaching session because he's remembering something that was a stupid belief that he forgot. Like it's okay to like yourself or it's okay to like women. It's like something stupid like that will always make them laugh because you laugh when you realize the truth. That's what a punchline is. It's okay to like yourself. Yeah. Sometimes it's like such a stupid thing and you laugh and you remember it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, we were talking before about, uh, we were talking about, like, boundaries and, like, wanting sex, not wanting sex, as a man. You know? I thought you were going to say about, um, like women who are in approval of their desire to be submissive they've already either they've never been negatively conditioned yeah. or they've done the work to be like oh it's actually I can trust my yes I can trust my no I know my boundaries therefore 
I can be okay with being a feminist and wanting to be submissive in the bedroom. Yeah. Whereas a woman who hasn't dealt with that, or a person, anybody who hasn't dealt with that, is going to have this like, uh, uh, but is it okay? You know. Yeah. That feels really good. And like when I when I reach those points, that they're the most epic. Uh, memorable uh, sexual and romantic experiences that I that I have in my life. Like and I can have them different ways. Like I, as you know, you know, I've I've, I've gone to those places like in 15 minutes in a coffee shop yeah. it's like but that happens because like I, I, it just so happens that I that I meet a woman that is willing to go there she's willing to trust her own feelings which is hey I kind of want to explore my feelings with this guy this week. right the other way though but you also give permission to people like that and you don't make them feel unsafe so that this your end of it too it's kind of like a it takes two to tango it does yeah, yeah no I'm, I'm also, I mean, I'm, I am all about that, that part of the field. I'm, I'm obviously projecting that. Yeah. On a side note, I'm really trying to get Joseph to write more of his stories. So if you're listening to this and you don't see him put out his stories, we'll cyberbully him. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the other, another, I was just talking about this with, 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 with a, a girlfriend of mine. Like, I am also a big fan of um, formality and ritual, right? Like, 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 it's really interesting because the default way of, of like, approaching sexuality is kind of this, like, script that's somewhat, uh, let's say, fairytale-ish, where it's like, oh, we're just, like, you know, we're stumbling into this intimacy. It's like, we're, we're on a date and we go through like you know there's like there's like like three dozen like invisible hoops that we managed to, to like somehow like stay the course to get through and now you know it's like like we laughed at this joke we did this we, we, we had fun here we did this nobody like nobody like made things too explicit like and then at the end of the date we're like you know walking home together and we're at the door and like all this sexual tension that's built up suddenly explodes we kiss we stumble through the doorway and like we fall you're making my heart flutter Joseph no but I'm saying I'm saying that, I know that's I know. the default yeah. way and it's like and people think like that that's the way it has to happen like, they think like oh formality and ritual like you mean like making the implicit explicit like that's that's so unromantic that's so like that's that's so like I don't know like, like they, they think it's not going to be good but like, like like for example like sitting down with a partner like saying to a partner like okay I'm interested in exploring like pleasure like let's play a game like not let's play a game not like I'm not playing you and you're not playing me let's play with each other yeah I like both though I, 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 I do I do like the implicit is it gonna happen is it not gonna happen that's one thing I didn't like about being an open relationship that you didn't have the option to be implicit you had to go over everything in advance right. it's like it takes away the magic yeah but but there's a certain kind of magic in like like for example like saying like a, like like it's it's a consent form for example you know like that to me like my first instinct around that is like oh that's bullshit or, or that's really tedious the whole thing that they that they preach in like universities now with like the yes means yes and you know explicit consent at every step like that that I think that can be done that can still be done but it takes a very high level of skill a very high level of confidence to make that sexy but like if you if you like sit down and you go through like a form where you're like this is like I, I can send you these things yes or no scale of one to five like in terms of what my turn on is around these things like it's actually a, a pretty great way to get to know someone somebody's pleasure map what they right. call it. like like even if like half the things on the, on the, on the map are like a one and a five, if, if a partner says that, then I'm I'm not obviously I'm not going to do that. But then even the things that she's like a five, a five, 
most of those I'm not going to do either. Like at least that time. But but now I know. Now I have this like a much deeper sense of like where her turn on is, what feels pleasurable, what types of sensations tend to feel pleasurable for her, and she in the moment can drop. Like there are certain you know certain things she might you know even though it's unlikely they might be on her mind and she can completely let go like, because like she's already said on the on the thing she said like no spanking you know let's say let's say she hates spanking right but in, in an normal encounter she might in the back of her mind be like I hate spanking I hope this guy doesn't like pull that out right. in the middle of sex and it really turns me off and ruins the moment for her let's say right so she's like you know but every once in a while she's with some guy who he does that and it like kind of ruins things for her yeah I think the, the explicit put everything on the table whether it's on a form or not is great to do early on at some point yeah not every time no definitely not yeah. every time I'm not saying every time but yeah, I'm it's saying great, it's, yeah. it, I'm saying it, it, it certainly can be like a, a very positive thing yeah. rather than a negative thing it was funny I saw I told you about this uh, casual relationship I have uh, she was seeing another guy he seemed to be getting serious so I was like ready to pull away I was ready for her to cut me off um, and she was telling me that they had a re she broke things off with him because they recently had a conversation where they put everything on the table and she was like she was saying everything he likes in bed and she was saying everything she likes in bed and they were like totally off well no well she said I really like getting tied up which is something she does with me alright I introduced her to it rather and um, he, he felt emasculated by it because that night he tried to choke her really hard and she was like whoa 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 that's way too hard and he said something like uh, whoa this is coming from a chick who likes to be tied up like clearly he was feeling insecure and he went a little I mean honestly I've been there I've been like I was seeing someone she ended up squirting with some other guy and I was and I tried really hard to get her to do that but kind of in an angry way and uh, and obviously it wasn't fun for either of us so I, I understand the feeling of that emasculation um, but yeah I mean yeah sometimes you find out things you don't want to hear basically you need to not be insecure <laughs> you're going to do that yeah you might I mean that's, that's true with any time you're finding out the truth about someone you might find out something you don't want to know yeah but again it's like you know I mean I I don't know I, 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 you're not insecure about that stuff no so it's like oh, it's like every guy should hope to work towards security around things like that so you can hear everything but I mean like I I, I, I can and I will tie a partner up and I don't need that like 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 there, there's like a there's a there's a, a like there's a I mean I don't want to hire guys really but like there's a there's a place that you can you can you can go, get to and have that just involves attention presence and uh, yeah it's like a palette you have to choose from yeah consent form. And, you know where where it's so hot you don't even need really like more than one position you, you don't I agree even, you know like like every time stops and then falls away and so does the rest of the world and yeah. you, you drop into this experience where like it almost doesn't matter what you do yeah but you you can hear the whole reason why you're not insecure about anything on the list is that you know you can get to that place the way you like the way I like for a guy who's like oh, I don't know I don't know women like sleeping with me at all and she then he reads that oh she has crazy orgasms of this kind with this kind of person or this thing that he doesn't know anything about I get why he would feel shitty so yeah. brace yourself if you're gonna go there yeah but I still think I guess my point for the making is if you develop the attention presence intention part then uh, all of the other parts work copacetically with that foundational part so like you don't right. need to be a shibari master uh, in order to elicit the same type of reaction uh, or to generate let's say yeah. the same but you need to develop some sort of skill no you can't right. so, but you could yeah. you could generate rather than needing to be a shibari master you or anything you, you could simply know how to tie a wrist and if you have that foundational presence attention intention part you can generate the same charge as if she was suspended yeah and this is actually why I kind of like things like the Gillette 
bad because I, it's not going to do this immediately, but I do think this will kind of be a wake-up call to certain kinds of men. Like, oh shit, I need to learn stuff. I can't just get by and be, you know, assume, you know, just fucking like a porn situation. It's going to be good sex. Like, I need to actually maybe learn the attention, presence, or some sort of skills. Like, you're not born knowing how to be good in bed. Maybe some people are. Well, then we're, we're kind of we're back to like alpha beta like like there is this thing that I've I've observed it's a it's a it's kind of a like a, a mind fuck of a paradox like, like there are a certain type of alpha male let's let's call it it's like part of why they're alpha even is they don't give a fuck about their woman's pleasure their partner's pleasure at all they're not thinking about it at all when they're having sex with their partner it doesn't ever occur to them that whether or not their partner is enjoying it and that in itself is a turn on I have and, the, and, the, and who they are and usually it has to do with high sexual market value but it, but it could, could also be a presence like there are certain males that have like an alpha presence it's like ultimately penetrating it's like yeah. energetically speaking but when they have that there's like a visceral instinctive involuntary reaction in the woman that actually creates like they don't have to learn anything. Or, I have a few thoughts on that because I'm thinking, I'm thinking of people who would be considered alpha, like the the frat boy alpha guy. Well, that's different. I think every time you, I, I bet everyone who's listening, when they listen to you describe that kind of guy, it was an older guy with a bunch of experiences who really is secure. Really, maybe he didn't learn things in a workshop, but he learned things through experience, and he just yeah. totally trusts himself that he yeah. knows we're having a good experience, and that's why he doesn't care. And, and um, it reminds me, have you read Infinite Jest? Yeah. There's a passage, I never finished the book because it's ridiculous, but but there's a pattern. If you guys, you get it up to the part with Marlon Brando, uh-huh. they talk about Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. It's, yeah. They had a whole thing of like, ever since Marlon Brando movies, America thought that the way to be a man is to like be rough and throw things across the room and break shit and be rough with your appliances and stuff. And they missed the point of Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando had so much attention. Like if he had to break a chair on stage, he practiced over and over and over again. So he had to, he knew exactly where the center of gravity was on a chair when he leaned back. He knew exactly where a woman's center of gravity was when he threw her across the room. Like he had so much presence and attention. Yeah. But so when he does it, when he's like, you know, Stanley Kowalski, it looks like he's just throwing people around but he actually he embodied that and that's why he didn't give a shit yeah I think that's true and like whenever I any of my female friends talk about like oh, I met this guy and like he's a man I'm like he must be over 40 like I already know that because I don't know I don't know that there's any guy younger than that who has had enough man experiences to really be a man honestly and I'm saying this is a 30 year old guy I think I'm pretty conscious of bad experiences but like but okay, but like an example of my when I was thinking about this. So, you know, I knew this guy who now again again, you know, I link it to like like sexual barking value and sexual attraction. Like this guy was physically very, very good looking. Okay? But, but but at twenty two years old, you know, he he was like, like physically looked like 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 body wise was like the rock. He was like on steroids, huge, but like lean, tall, narrow waist, wide shoulders, tattoos. Was was act literally a male model, you know, but like like a a, a, a mean kind of guy, a bad boy, like who men feared. And so he caused tetter sweat, therefore he had alpha sweat. Well, like I I I witnessed many many times. I witnessed him like like make eye contact with a woman, and I literally could see her melting in real time. Like like she she looked at him, and it's like she was completely her nervous system was like zapped like she had no idea what to do like like in that 
moment. She's like, like, do I keep staring at him? Do I look away? Do I, do I walk away somewhere? Like, what do I? She's like, like, completely, like, stuck with like desire, like immediate desire. Like, and she's like, the longer she's looking at him, the more she's like, like her heartbeat is starting to, you know, right. increase. Her, her her breathing is getting more and more rapid. And she's she's like completely owned in that moment by this guy. And like whatever happens after, like most of the time he's not interested. Like he's like he looks at her and then turns turns away. And she's going like she's having trouble standing up. And yeah. she's like you know now she's got to deal with that. And she, for the rest of the night, she's like staring across the bar, hoping that he notices her. You know, that's kind of what I meant. Gotcha. You know, like like that. That guy. It's a paradox because that guy obviously does have a lot of experience. Yeah, because so, I bet that guy, everything else being equal, will have more experiences by the time he's 30, 40, whatever, than any other guy. You know, than any other guy. You know, and, barring other factors. But and so I don't know that he particularly paid attention to learning or valuing like you know uh, increasing his skill. Like he might he might have learned through experience that like all yeah. he needed to do was like like meet the meet meet the straight the, the girl he just met in the bathroom and like just like bang her in, for five minutes and then like but in that five minutes she's completely like like jello yeah so uh don't mention his name but there's a guy who uh is having a me too allegation right now in the tantra world was really good looking his whole life got away with a lot of things i don't know what was true i'm not you know i have no idea what was whatever but one of the facts of the matter is his looks are fading and he probably got a lot he, he got a lot through his looks in the realm of everything and his looks are failing and I fading and I think uh, that's one of the he's just kind of confused and then this Me Too thing happened on top of that um, which I don't think would have happened when he was 30 right yeah. well that's we've talked about that many times you know like I find it very in interesting to observe that like there are very few Me Too allegations uh, with men that are objectively like high sexual market value. Yeah. Like, like an, an eight out of ten or over. There's almost none you can mention. In fact, it's almost the opposite. Like those men are still sought out. And, yeah. and, and, and they bring up the Jared Leto example. Like women, like almost choose to be violated by him. Women would prefer. Women some are, women were, were the same. Not, not some women. Yeah, that's true. Some women are actually like because his value is so high. It's part of like it's 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 still part of the it's worth it. it's worth it. like it's an interesting phenomenon. But there there haven't been any new two allegations about Jared Leto. Yeah, you know he's a good example because there could be. Well, there, there certainly point. could be, but yeah. the reactions are. Uh, or seem to be at the moment the opposite. His underground reputation, you know, you know, considering what his underground reputation is, he should have multiple reputations, but he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, people are people. People are animals. Yeah. No, and that's what, you know, like you, like you point out with, with this guy, you know, he's getting older. It's like at a certain point, you reach, you know, uh, you fall into a, uh, an area where you no longer have this uh, protection yeah. right? or or this this value whatever it is because I mean I don't know the guy very well but I've met him he seems like a decent person I mean not that I, that means anything in real life but like my guess is when he was younger and he would do something violating he got positive feedback actually yeah because 
whatever. Maybe they liked it. Maybe they just they was like whatever. I'm having such a good time. It wasn't experience just violating because he was yeah. so. It was such a turnoff. Yeah. So maybe for 20, 30 years, every time he did something like that, he, he was like, oh, I really like this. I should do this more. Whatever the thing is. And now it's not. The, all of a sudden, it's not the case. It is, it's happening more, more and more. Yeah. He's, he's had a downward slope. It's like, and, and as he gets older and older, less and less women are going to. Like, le, like less and less women are going to have like all the options on the table in an encounter. Like they're going to be more and more as he gets older, and as his sexual market value goes down, more and more places on the you know the pleasure map you know on, on the encounter are going to be sort of like off limits yeah. or like undesired to go to yeah I mean it's true for every I mean it's, I think it's maybe even more true for women like a lot of my female friends who are now getting older are just noticing they can't get away with shit anymore because they, they used to be able to bat their eyelashes and whatever and like people would forgive them and now they're kind of getting shit from men or like they're being treated less um, less nicely on dates and stuff and like oh men are all whatever and it's like well you just probably got away with rudeness or whatever not even rudeness but like not in, you know it's uh, it's kind of just a, a way of there's a lot of, lot of youth will be served a lot of double standards a lot of hypocrisy on both sides of the uh, so the lesson is no matter how good looking you are you gotta develop a personality otherwise you're gonna have terror sweat that, that, that should be obvious I yeah well, do you have any other thoughts oh my god uh, let's see the only other thought is that loss has already transfigured your life into an altar what we'll, we'll end with that alright you can explain it to me later <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com. Catch me on social media, at Rwando, and please do not forget to subscribe.